I mean, the worst thing that a new leader can do is to say, out with the old, in with the new, whatever that old person did, I've got new ideas. No. Yeah. You know, be smart. Just say we're going to build on the foundation of the great things that have already happened. Yes. Um, Joshua didn't come in and say, yeah, uh, Moses had some good Ten Commandments, but I've got 14 that are really superior. And, and you know, we're, we're going to out with the old, in with the new. Now, Joshua honored Moses and Moses honored Joshua and mm-hmm. the outgoing and incoming leaders. When they have this mutual respect, it changes everything with mm-hmm. the way that that leadership transition goes. But I think it's the outgoing leader who sets the tone. Welcome to the Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst in the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Leadership Podcast. I am so blessed to have my guest today, Lee Kreitzer, with us. Lee is a friend who we met, Father James and I met Lee and his wife uh, through Patrick Molyneux years ago doing some leadership and coaching training. And uh, Lee has also come up to our leadership conference when we had it in 2016. It was an absolute treat to meet you. Uh, Lee is the president of the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation. He's also the founder of futureforwardchurches.com. And the reason he's here today is to talk about a topic that really, really, really impacts our Catholic churches. And so this is going to be a really fun conversation. I hope that you'll share it uh, because we need to be engaged in this conversation. His book is entitled Seamless Pastoral Transitions. And the neat thing is he's also just put out another book on the same principles as it relates to the secular world of, of, of boards and leadership and trend. There it is there. <laughs> Sameless leadership transition, which will hit Amazon this summer. Love it. And so it's going to be fun to talk about this topic because, Lee, I know in our Catholic context, I don't know that we often do leadership transitions well or as intentionally as we could. And sometimes there's reasons for that. So I'm, this isn't casting any stones or or wagging any fingers at bishops or, or priests. I, I get it. It's tough. But there are some principles that I think Lee is going to be able to break open for us today that will be really helpful. So, Lee, what made you write this book in the first place? Well, um, my first book was about the transformation of our church, Amplified Church, which is, it was called For a New Generation. And it was a transformation from an aging, dying church to a thriving, multi-generational church. And a part of that whole idea of having a church that was multi-generational was to say, how can I hand off leadership to next generation leaders? Mm -hmm. And so the prompting of this book was twofold. One was, am I as a leader responsible for what happens when I leave? Many mm-hmm. leaders, the answer is no. I am right. just faithful to what I can do while I'm in my role. And when I yeah. leave, so be it. Whatever happens, happens. I answered that question differently. I believed that I was responsible mm-hmm. for what happened after I le- left as, lo- as far as helping to make sure that there was a next generation leader in mm-hmm. place. And I think a model for that was Moses 
Moses couldn't guarantee what would happen to Israel after he was gone, but he could lead a sound, good leader in place, and he did mm. with Joshua. So Moses yeah. would have said, yes, I am responsible for what happens after I leave to whatever degree that I can. Um, mm. And this is a long answer to your question, but then I, as part of my doctoral studies, um, I studied leadership transition in Protestant churches um, mm -hmm. to be able to see how many leaders were taking that responsibility seriously of leaving a, mm -hmm. a good leader in their place when they were transitioning out of ministry. And so um, I received my doctorate as a result of that research and it turned into this book. That's so cool. I'm going to call you Dr. Lee from now on. <laughs> so congratulations, by the way. That's Thank a you. really Thank big accomplishment. And so as I want to frame this conversation up even more as we continue to talk about this, because as you're saying this, I realize <laughs> that also goes for every one of us who has a ministry in a parish. And so let's not just look at this as a bishop transition or a priest transition, but let's also look at this as transition as a ministry leader, because all of these principles apply to that as well. So I just didn't want anybody to say, oh, this isn't for me. Let's just skip on. Just, no, it isn't. This is for you. Stay tuned because uh, it really matters. And and so that's interesting. Does does what happens after me matter to me? Am I responsible for that? Or do I just pass it on and say, or just walk away and say, good luck? I know sometimes in the church, it's so hard for pastors. You know, oftentimes they'll have people in ministry for long periods of time because it's not necessarily a leadership culture, but there's a getting church done culture and yeah, and yeah. so people just stay in ministry, but then when they've had enough, it's like they take the keys to the kingdom, they put it in the priest's hands, and they say, um, I'm done, I can't do it anymore. Whether it's a sick, i got to move. But there's zero responsibility of of raising up. It's like, no, it's not my responsibility, it's your responsibility. It's your church, you do it. And so, yeah. So you talk about three imperatives and six pitfalls. And so why don't we open up the imperatives in terms of this whole concept of Taking responsibility for putting a great leader in place behind you. Yes, Ron. And I think that, as you said, it applies to all of us in any kind of leadership role, mm -hmm. uh, lay leaders or pastoral leaders. And share leadership is the first principle. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting. I can follow that thread of Moses and Joshua throughout. Please. But Moses, for some time, he was the ultimate um, leader who was who wasn't sharing leadership. And his father-in-law, Jethro, came to visit him uh, at one point. And after a day of watching Moses have every single thing in Israel basically coming, <laughs> the people coming for him to solve things, his father-in-law said, what you're doing is not good. Now, you know, I can only imagine that Moses' response was about to be, hey, dad, you know, I just parted the Red Sea. I got the Ten Commandments. I've got a connection with God um, yeah. greater than any person on earth. Are you sure you want to critique my leadership? <laughs> but, <laughs> but his father-in-law um, just said, hey, Moses, you need to share leadership or you'll wear, you'll wear yourself and the people out. And from that mm. point on, Moses had a very different attitude. He raised up judges. He raised up people like Caleb and Joshua gave them very significant roles of leadership. He never abdicated his authority, but he shared mm -hmm. leadership. And every single leader needs to take a look at who are the people that I'm taking alongside of me. And very often that's the next generation mm -hmm. leader 
or person who you're training in the kind of things that you are doing uh, mm-hmm. for the kingdom of God. Uh, and, uh, you know, when a person leaves for vacation and they come back and the people in the parish or the church say, oh, everything fell apart while you were gone. We're so glad you're back. That's not a compliment. That's an statement of poor leadership because <laughs> you should have people who you're taking by your side who can slot right in when you're not there. And definitely the whole idea that this is my role and I had to figure it out. And after I die, somebody else can figure it out. That right. is such an unchristlike uh, attitude mm-hmm. versus you know, this first imperative, share leadership. Whatever place that God has given you, look for people who you can take alongside and raise them up so they could be your Caleb or your Joshua and mm. continue the work of God without interruption. Amen. I, I, you know, you talk about shared mm-hmm. leadership, not abdicating their leadership. And so the whole idea of raising other people up isn't so that you can run away or isn't so that you can hand it over right away because, but it's like, no, just be in a state of raising other people up continually. And when it is time for you to transition, you'll have choices. And mm-hmm. so that, and, and again, oftentimes, Lee, when I'm coaching into parishes that are about renewal, about leading out of the pastors, having the humility to lead out of a team, mm-hmm. we have leadership summits three times a year. And I'm often saying, invite the people that are responsible for particular ministries to bring an apprentice. Now, I know full well they don't have one, but then we describe it. But the reason is because we want them to raise up their, their Caleb's. Like, we want them to begin to raise up their Joshua's because you know, trying to help create that leadership culture that you're talking about through that example with Moses. Yes. And and some leaders do not share leadership because, I mean, one board member said to a pastor, um, we're paying you to do these things, not to dump them on somebody else. Clearly that board member didn't realize that sharing leadership was the best thing for the organization. Um, Mm. But sometimes leaders, it's not a board member who's pressing them. It's their own internal idea that, oh, Amen. I don't have any leaders to raise up. Well, if you remember when Samuel was anointing the next king of Israel, even David's father didn't think he was leadership material. So you need to pray and we need to pray. God, open my eyes to the Davids mm-hmm. around that mm-hmm. I can raise up and invest, invest in because God does have leaders around you um, and that's the important thing. And unless you've got the indispensable hero syndrome, uh, everything needs to go through me. And then that's a whole nother issue. And again, that's really not a wise choice if you love and care about your church, your parish, your organization. Uh, Yeah, that's, uh, you know, you see, you know, not recognizing David. And then even with Moses, he didn't recognize it in himself. Yeah. Isn't that funny, eh? Like sometimes it's 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 that too. But can and this is where I think our personal prayer life is so important that that God that we just hear the voice of God and what's God say about me? You know, yeah. what do others say about me, sure, but don't let us don't be defined necessarily completely by that, but it, it is helpful. But what's God God, what are you saying about me? How did you Lee, let me ask you this. This is kind of off track from the book, but on track with the with the conversation. At what point did you begin to realize that 
that you had leadership chops and that, that maybe leadership was something that you should be more intentional about and pay attention to? Well, how would you answer that? I think um, early on, even as a teenager in, in my church youth group, when activities were taking place, I would tend to say, hey, let's try this together. Or right. people would tend to listen to me. And I thought, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I consciously realized I was a natural quote unquote leader. Sure. But I think as I went through college and then afterwards in um, church ministry, I began to see that um, I was called to be a leader. Now, what was sure. interesting is I spent 15 years in the ministry, 15 years as a leadership development coach and consultant, and then mm-hmm. 15 years back in the ministry. And during those times as a leadership coach and consultant, I came to realize that yes, some of I mean, we all have a certain natural leadership proclivity, but every leader can elevate their leadership. I, I yes. believe the prayer of every leader um, can be taken out of the Psalms, which is lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's a mm. prayer I pray every day. Every that's wow. and that applies to our spiritual life. Lead me to the rock as a as a husband, as a father, as you know. But as a leader, lead mm. me to the rock that's higher than I. And as soon as you think you've already reached your pinnacle, then you'll stop growing and start to do, start to go backwards. So. Mm. Um, I think there's that combination of, yes, does God give me some natural leadership skills? If so, I'm responsible to develop them. Steward those. But yeah. whether you feel like he has or not, I think there was a time where I realized I, there's a gap between where I am as a leader and where God created me to be. And my whole life should be spent closing that gap. Wow. We could stop the, we could stop the whole podcast right now, actually. That, that was so good. <laughs> So good. So that's beautiful. And so what I also love about that story you just shared, Lee, is that the church played a major part in cultivating, giving you a platform to begin to see yourself as a leader and, and cultivate those skills and gifts. And I just think, oh, praise God. Like, like boy, it's, it's, if you're listening, is that your church? Are you able to help young people? Uh, do you have a platform for people to grow in self-awareness and, and try new things and grow as leaders? Because if not, maybe that could be a goal because it's such an important part of, it can be such an important contribution that the church can make to families and individuals is having those platforms and developing and seeing the best in young people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I remember one senior person in their 70s who was always giving the announcements at church mm-hmm. um, and that was their job, that was their role, that was in some ways their identity. Right. and when we spoke about it and I talked about the importance of having young people up front, if we were going to be attracting young people into our congregation, that person was very gracious and said, yeah, let's get a couple well-spoken young people. There is no special anointing to give announcements. Um, And it's just something, and that person didn't just help take those people under his wing, but within a few months said, they're ready to do the announcements on a weekend. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is a gracious um, approach to life. And he Uh went on to lead a small group. So there's many things that that you can do, but sometimes the very things that you do in your ministry, God is calling you to replicate in the lives of the next generation of leaders uh, for the well-being of the church or the organization. Amen. 
What a gracious perspective, like you say, generous perspective of that gentleman to do that. Boy, that's exciting. I love attitudes like that. You know, sometimes uh, I challenge people. They say, oh, the, you know, the older people, the older people. And I say, no, don't pin. Don't, <laughs> let's be careful of that because it's more to do with attitude than age. Like, Absolutely. and that, that person clearly had an attitude, a kingdom-minded attitude. I, I want to do what's best for this par- this church and, and this congregation and the next. Like, that's an attitude that has nothing to do with age. I've met young people that can be as closed off as, as anything. And so it, I don't think there's sure. anything to do with age. And so that's a beautiful example of how much so many of our committed, faithful people who are more seasoned in years want to do whatever it takes for the church to continue to succeed in the next generation. So thanks for sharing that. So first principle, uh, sharing leadership is such an important part. And so that's an an image that can be challenged from board members or pastoral council members or fellow priests in our traditions. Like, what are you doing? You're the boss. Don't you should be telling everybody what to do? Or I don't know how they think I'm probably (laughs) exaggerating, but 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 the point is, sometimes you don't see it in yourself, or you're afraid, and or sometimes other people are afraid. But you're saying do it anyway, like find exactly. that gear. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, we want to hear those words: "Well done, good and faithful servant" from God. Mm-hmm. And I think sharing leadership is a part of why we hear those words. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. All right. What's principle number two? Principle number two would be pave the way, and this is particularly if you know who the incoming leader is going to be to take your place. And perhaps that's someone you're mentoring, someone you're apprenticing. Um, And so what can I do to help that person have a very smooth entry? What introductions can I make for that person? What kind of training, you know, let me take them to a conference with me to give that person, uh, he or she confidence, you know, to be able to step into a new role. And you're looking, you're asking yourself the question, what are the ways that I can pave the way for my successor or the next mm-hmm. leader up um, when I'm gone? Now, for those leaders who don't have anything to say about who will replace them, they have a certain number of things that they can do anyway, and that is preparing the congregation or preparing others mm-hmm. um, in a way that's, uh, that's not just neutral, but mm-hmm. it, it's in a way to foreshadow who's coming and to be praying for that person, maybe even you leading in prayer for that next leader. And perhaps after that next leader is named, again, even if you haven't been involved, there's a way that you can circle back to some key people who who that leader needs their support. And mm. you can pave the way by saying, hey, this is, this is a really solid leader. And I, I really trust that God's and is in who he has placed in this role. And so you, in, in essence, you're asking yourself, how can I make, pave the way for this next mm-hmm. leader in such a way that, that, that they have the best possible chance at success? Mm-hmm. And that's really important if you do know who the next leader is going to be and you do have a hand in saying, and the whole premise of the book, Seamless Pastoral Transition, is that there's an overlap in time between the outgoing pastor and the incoming mm-hmm. pastor. And that may be measured in weeks, it might be measured in years, but during that time between the new person, when that when that new person will take over, 
you're looking at every way possible. And this is even in the corporate world. Mm. The outgoing leader makes some of those tough decisions, personnel decisions, board decisions, things that are on the mind of the incoming leader so mm. that those decisions can be made under the um, air cover of the outgoing leader who tends to already have the credibility with yeah. the with with the church or the organization. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Because oftentimes when you're making shifts like that, changes like that, those are um, relational withdrawals. And if you're a new leader, you don't, you don't have any equity built up in relationships. And so okay. that takes time to build trust, to build relational emotional equity in the, in the lives of these people. And so that is a great way. And I do see that as in transitions in the Catholic Church. You know, I, I do see them being mindful of that from time to time. You know, I'm, I'm just going to be doing this, actually this coming week, I'll be going to do my first ever transition retreat from one pastor to another. So the outgoing pastor I've coached for a couple of years, uh, they know who's replacing him. He had a, a hand in, in, in speaking into that. Thanks be awesome. to the bishop. But isn't that awesome? And I've, I've only ever seen that one other time. And that's Father James Mallon with Father Simon Lobo. And, and so through that process, I'm preparing the team for this person I haven't met yet. And, and the outgoing pastor's like, well, why don't, uh, why don't you meet with them? And then why don't I, because there is going to be this this overlap, and why don't I hold down the fort while you and the team go into a three day retreat? And you can walk them through, and it's like, what a gracious, generous, <laughs> terrific plan! And so the diocese is coming as well, two people from the diocese, so that we can experience it together and learn from what we do to see if this works and be, can be replicated in other places. But again, a lot of the principles from your book, and I'm so excited to be a part of that. What are your thoughts on that? I I love it, and actually about half the case studies in my book, although they're Protestant churches, mm. were Protestant churches where the outgoing leader was not permitted to be involved with the incoming leader yeah. in any way. There was actually a gap in time, and perhaps mm. an interim pastor would be put in there. Mm -hmm. And But forward-thinking bishops said, in this case, for the well-being of this particular church, this beloved outgoing pastor, we want this person to be involved with uh, helping to pave the way for the incoming leader and mm -hmm. having some overlap. And so I think this is a trend. Now, obviously, if the outgoing leader, if the congregation or the board is thinking good riddance, nobody's going to be asking that person to help no. out with the incoming leader. But if you have someone who is credible and beloved in the in the church and they are on the way out, their blessing on the mm -hmm. next person in is a huge, huge deal. Like when, back to the Moses example, when he Death. picked Joshua, he, he recognized Joshua in front of all of Israel he commissioned Joshua in front of all of Israel. Israel knew that Moses, that, that Joshua had Moses' blessing to lead them. And they ended up saying, well, what in the same way we followed Moses, we'll follow you. That would not have happened if Joshua, mm -hmm. if Moses had just died mm -hmm. and, not, uh, and not been involved with who his replacement would be. Yeah. And Joshua comes out and says, Hey, um, I'm pretty sure I'm the right person, or, uh, right, or I pick am. me. 
I'm the most powerful politically, and so I'm the next person up. Or even if he had come out and mm -hmm. said, hey, Moses told me right before he died that he wanted me to be here. Now, what was done was very public. And mm -hmm. again, it's, if, it falls under that whole idea of how can I possibly pave the way? Because I love this church. I love this yeah. organization. Of course, I want them to thrive after I walk out of the door. Yeah. It's, it's such a shallow way of thinking to say, boy, they're going to miss me around here. Right. Of course, they're going to miss you. They love you. Mm -hmm. But if you love them, pave the way for the next person up. Amen. It reminds me of the scripture when Jesus said, I always just found it just such the craziest thing he ever said was that you'll be even, you'll be able to do even greater things than I did. It's like, you're God. But it's like, no, he's setting us up for success. He wants us to be wildly successful. He wants us to have an impact. He wants us to live these principles and, and life that leads to eternity. Like, it's like, do you, do you want that for the person that follows in your ministry, that follows in, in your parish, that follows in your diocese? Like, do you want that? And if so, that's, this book is a must read because it will help you be more intentional about setting the stage for paving the way for this next leader. Father James did such a beautiful job. I remember being on staff when they were looking at that transition and yeah. we'd had Father Simon there for two years mentoring him. Now, we didn't know we were mentoring him to take over from Father James. We were just mentoring him because we believed it was the right thing to do. And we felt called to start investing in younger priests of capacity. But when we planned that, or when he planned that liturgy for um, for the transition, he actually brought in the previous pastor before him, Father Bernie O'Neill, who was just an unbelievable leader. And he's the one who intentionally, with the bishop, brought Father James there. And now this intentionality with Father Simon there, and if you look at the trajectory of, of St. Benedict Parish, it continues to flourish. And in my lifetime in this diocese, a church has never continued to flourish. It always tanked when the next leader came in. What a wonderful witness and tribute to the intentionality behind <laughs> sharing leadership and paving the way. It's oh, I, I love that. And in the, the book, I just re am releasing leadership, uh, seamless leadership transition, two yeah. corporate studies, two business yeah. <laughs> examples, and two nonprofit examples. But in all of those, one of being one of which was a church. It's multiple successive seamless transitions that lends itself to the long-term health and stability um, of the church or the organization. And so th that's a great example that you share with Father Mallon that you have multiple successive seamless transitions with each predecessor paving the way for their successor. That's very powerful, and mm -hmm. and those are leaders who love the church more than they do their own exclusive brand of leadership. Yeah. Amen. I coach a, a priest who'd, uh, who followed, you know, very challengingly behind a beloved previous pastor who'd been there for over 20 years. And um, that when he transitioned to another parish, it wasn't that far away. And uh, that person's influence and drawing people out and it's still it's connected and it almost it can undermine yes your new leaders um which is that's hard what would you say to to uh to that scenario in terms of another leader who's continuing intentionally or unintentionally meddling or or influencing or undermining an uh 
the next leaders. Tenure. Yeah, I talked recently to a pastor of a church who was raised up by their predecessor, but their predecessor, after a few months, started complaining that they weren't honoring him enough. Right. And so he ended up publicly coming out against his successor and saying, why don't you follow me? I'll start something new. Oh. And there's something about that. You know, and I thought, you know what? If that person had a person on staff who started a church down the street, they would have mm -hmm. said that's the height of unethical behavior. Well, mm -hmm. it is It is for you too. You know, if you mm -hmm. are in a leadership position and you are undermining your successor in any way, it mm -hmm. is the height of unethical behavior. Mm -hmm. And it's time to, it's it's their turn. Mm -hmm. It's not your turn any longer. Yeah. And I compare that, what, what one of the um, pitfalls for leaders is trying to go back. And mm -hmm. I liken it to when you have a rental car and you pull over those bikes and then yeah. the sign will say, you know, don't go in reverse, serious damage <laughs> will occur. And that's exactly what happens when you are trying to undermine the new person for yeah. your own ego purposes. So. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's go to the third principle. Yeah. Third principle and leaders, including Christian leaders, are seldom accused of this. Model humility. <laughs> Mo model humility. Um, and especially long-term leaders, a lot of times some of the things that have really helped them to break through barriers and uh, adversaries and different things are, are things that really wouldn't 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 fall under humility. Right. But if there's ever a time to practice humility, it's during leadership transitions. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I think John the Baptist is the ultimate example. I mm -hmm. must decrease. He must increase. Mm -hmm. And that's the attitude the outgoing leader needs to take. No matter what kind of a, um, a tenure you've had, no matter how successful you've been, I must decrease so my successor can increase. And... You know, it, it goes both ways. Um, the successor should also be honoring. I mean, the worst thing that a new leader can do is to say, mm -hmm. out with the old, in with the new. Whatever that old person did, I've got new ideas. No. Yeah. You know, be smart. Just say we're going to build on the foundation of the great things that have already happened. Yes. Um, Joshua didn't come in and say, yeah, uh, Moses had some good Ten Commandments, but I've got 14 that are really superior. And, and yeah, we're, we're going to out with the old, in with the new. Now, Joshua honored Moses, and Moses honored Joshua. And mm -hmm. the outgoing and incoming leaders, when they have this mutual respect, it changes everything with mm -hmm. the way that that leadership transition goes. But I think it's the outgoing leader who sets the tone. And it humility is not easy when you're going from having the admiration of being the senior person to handing that to someone else. Yeah. Um, prayer, praying for humility is a daily prayer that needs to happen, including mm -hmm. after that person starts to make decisions that you would disagree with. And yeah. people calling you and saying, do you believe what uh, that new person's doing? Mm -hmm. And it's so tempting to say, to jump in and say, and become a critical, a critic. Mm -hmm. Really, your role is now to be a prayerful cheerleader, not a critic. And mm -hmm. if you take that role, God will honor, it, well, will honor it. 
and will open up new doors of influence for you without mm-hmm. having to go backwards and pull the rug out from under that your successor. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, I know you've had to do that not once but twice in, in the Alliance Church, right? And so what was that? What was that like yeah, and, and Amplify Church. Amplify, um, sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, the, the the main thing I was doing for Amplify Church was, you know, this most recent time, and that would have been about four and a half years ago. Sure. And so after handing off to my successor, and he was just at our home yesterday, and uh, so we have a great relationship. Um, mm-hmm. But there are many things that he has done that are different than what I would have done. His style is very different than mine. I definitely did not choose a clone uh, to try and uh, replace me. And I, I do think that um, that that handoff for me was very critical. However, because I handed off, within a few months of that handoff, I did get a call to say, how would you like to turn around this nonprofit organization, the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation? And a whole new world opened up for me. And that would not have if I was hanging on to my old world. Amen. Amen. And, and now I'm actually planning a year and a half from now, I'll be handing off my role at oh, Leadership Foundation to to a, a new successor, a next generation leader. And then God's yeah. going to open up another door uh, to, to change the world. But it doesn't have to be in, with the same title and the same organization. Amen. Amen. So what about um, what about some of the pitfalls? Like you mentioned, we mentioned one earlier, like don't go back, <laughs> back don't back over those spikes. What are some other yes. pitfalls that come to mind? That's, that's one. I think choosing a clone is another. When you're raising up leaders, don't necessarily look for somebody who's just like you um, because, you know, God will use different people with different styles and everything else. So be, be prayerful about who you might choose. Uh, failure to put together a detailed plan for the transition, especially if you know what's coming. Uh, so an outgoing pastor with an incoming pastor, if they know that transition's happening, let that incoming pastor start to lead staff meetings, start to lead board meetings, start to speak more often on the weekend services. So allow that to take place. And have that written out, a detailed transition plan, including a, a date on which the official transition will take place. Um, those are a few things. I, I think handing off a baton without taking on another. Uh, when a leader has a hard time letting go. It's just like the trapeze artist. You see that you know a trapeze is coming, and that's what gives you the confidence to let go of the other. Um. And so God always has something new for you. But don't wait till after you hand off to start prayerfully considering what that might be. Um, mm. Just just be ready. So those are a few of the pitfalls. And those pitfalls particularly apply when the outgoing leader overlaps for a period of time with the incoming leader. Right. That's neat. I've uh, seen a couple of different times here in our own diocese. We have coadjutor yeah. bishops or co-adjudicators, however you pronounce it. Um, but they're appointed and assigned before the outgoing bishop retires. Yeah. And so I've seen that twice now, once in our diocese and once in another diocese that I've helped out with. And uh, it's a really neat process. You know, you know the timing of that um, 
is interesting and it's really, really helpful. And I wonder too, within that, to I think the piece that has been missing in some of the ones I've seen is the detailed planning part of it in that, you know, you're there, but you don't maybe always have a clear understanding of your role and the different steps and being intentional and paving the way and sharing leadership and all those things that you're talking about. Again, not that it hasn't happened, but I wonder if it's as intentional as what you're inviting us to consider, because I think the clearer it is when there's alignment and clarity, people can thrive. But in the absence of alignment and clarity, it's easy to get tripped up. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, helpful. I remember when I was handing off to my successor, uh, I visited the space center down in Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the famous lines that happened when they're trying to bring the Apollo back, uh, one of the Apollo missions was, yeah. "Failure is not an option." And I love nice. that. I bought a, mm. a coffee mug with those words, "Failure is not an option," <laughs> and after a couple times in the dishwasher. The words disappeared. It was like, <laughs> I guess failure is an option, uh, even with the space center. And failure is always an option when it comes to leadership transition. Yeah, but you can do what you can. And when you say, "I am responsible to whatever degree I can influence what happens after I'm gone," mm. and whether you're sharing leadership or paving the way or modeling humility, you can do everything you can to to set up that next person for success. Amen. And, you know, if you take those same, those principles that you're talking about as a leader and have those types of conversations with your leadership team, they can help you think even more robustly than you would on your own. And maybe just maybe you could come up with a plan that you could be really, really proud of because it's worth it. That's great advice. Yes. As if you were coming into that next level of whatever you're going to do. And imagine if somebody did that for you, what would that feel like? Like, yes. how special would that make you feel? How grateful would you be? How many years would that cut off the learning process and the relationship? Like, you'd just be so much further ahead if somebody did or would do that for you. What kind of a character person would it take for somebody to do that for you? Like, why not be that person for somebody else? You know? Wow. So far. Awesome. Lee, I can't thank you enough for this conversation and continuing to write these kinds of books. You, you really do. The other book that, that, that we were talking about earlier, it was so fun because it talks about making your church, intergenerational church that is approximately the same age as the community around you, where yeah. so many of us as Catholics, it's not our, it's not our reality, but his hair is the same color as mine, you know? but yet soccer fields are filled with young moms and dads cheering on their kids. And but we don't see them where you have Catholic schools all over the place and nobody comes to the church. And, and so the, the, the principles that you challenge us to wrestle with, Lee, from a leadership perspective are the right conversations. And so thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your ongoing study. Thank you that, uh, yeah, for both you and your wife who continue to invest in different traditions, different denominations so that the kingdom of God will flourish. Awesome. Yeah. Been an honor to be with you, Ron, as always. God bless you, my friend. And thank you guys for continuing to join into this conversation. Again, I hope that whether you're a bishop, a priest, or a ministry leader, you take these principles, actually go get the book, read it with some friends, and wrestle with these principles and how you could apply them in your church. Because as together, if we create this culture of leadership, this 
this culture of generosity leading out of a team and paving the way for others, I think we're going to have a better church. Absolutely. And isn't that what we all desire? So God bless you. Thank you once again. And please, if this has been helpful, subscribe, share, and uh, we'll see you next time. God bless you all. I want to encourage you as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.